This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So, Guy, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972 with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never heard, stuff that no one's ever heard, frankly. obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. (laughs) Was he... Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hi, Guy. Hello, Gary. Although it seems odd saying hello, Gary, this time since we are actually in the same room. For the first time since before lockdown. Wow, that's true. Um, I, mean, and- I mean, to do the podcast, not actually in the same room for the first yeah, time but and also to say hi because i've just been on a bus with you for the most of the day traveling down from liverpool yeah you have yeah i mean frankly i'm sick of the sight of you already i mean quite a mom saying and i'd rather be saying goodbye no that's not true that's a terrible thing to say especially so, so early in the tour this is rock on tours on the road so it's we're the trying on tours road show with that's it we're trying to bring you rock on tours even though um guy and i are out on the road with uh with nick mason's also of secrets as you probably know and um we are now where are we we're in we're in Oxford, at the new theatre, Oxford. Which isn't that new, is it? It's really not new. If if there was a word I was going to use to describe this theatre, new would be very near the bottom of the park. Probably been new in 1920. Yeah. But it's beautiful. And we've got a show tonight. And and what we thought we'd do, this is pretty obvious, is we grabbed the nearest musician sitting next to us, which happened to be Nick Mason. Exactly. (laughs) Happens to be. uh, Which is a moment because he's the boss and he doesn't have to. You know what I mean? No. So this is a part two, but but you know, I thought we'd, we'd I thought I don't know what you think, but I thought we might have a look at sort of like life on the road. life on the road. Yeah, no, yeah, and this tour, and you know, I mean, it's very early on. We should point out this. It's only our fourth gig tonight. Yeah. But I might be interviewing you in this because you you had all those experiences under caution. <laughs> Could you sign this, please, sir? Yeah. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys. 
I'm ready. That's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. So great to talk to two guys that have done this. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. So, hello, Nick. Hello. Hello. Thank well, you for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much. Very welcome. Um, and we're in Oxford and was quite amazed to find it's a very long time since you've played here. Yes, uh, certainly. That's true of almost everywhere we're going uh, on this tour, actually. <laughs> yeah, where, where was it? 60s, I guess, as you last played here or something. Yeah, because there's a great name involved the last time you played here. You were with... With? Well, no, no, it was Pink Floyd and... You mentioned it on the you bus. It on Did the I? Bus. Oh, well, I might need some help here. Yes, it was Herbert Groins and the Night Timers. No, no, it was Herbie Goins and the Night Timers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Herbie the recent, Goins. Okay, the, which, uh, which indicates that uh, we were with the Brian Morrison Agency. And what the agents would do is try and book a, a whole bunch of their acts rather than one. So they'd give a price for not only Pink Floyd, but... In, our case, I think T Rex, uh, Herbie Goins. Rex, it would have been at that point, I yeah. presume. Yeah. And, um, oh, Ainsley Dunbar. Oh, right. Uh, the Ainsley Dunbar Retaliation. The Retaliation, yeah, yes, oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ainsley Dunbar ended up playing drums with David Bowie because I saw them well, at the marquee. Well, uh, actually, um, not a, only that, he also ended up playing drums for Frank Zappa. Ah, right, right, right. It, and he's still around, I think, isn't he? I I'm think not he sure, but I th he certainly was a few years ago. I came across him and he actually sent me some some um, stuff he'd been working on. It sounded great. And but great you always went out in those days with a bunch of people, wasn't it? it wasn't well, a not, a, not always. It was just particularly if it was something like a May Ball. Is, and is, that, is that what this was? <laughs> well, who knows, but it could very well have been. Games for May. And so well, that was with Sid. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. Yeah. And that's but when you said when it was those sort of package Tory type things, does that mean you would have been doing like what twenty minutes or something as set? Or? Uh, yeah, to, uh, maybe a little bit longer. I mean, the only time really we did a package tour was the Jimi Hendrix tour in late '67, Christmas, uh, and over the Christmas period. Uh, the Mabels, you'd probably do a full set. You'd do an hour or something because the thing ran from eight o'clock until three in the morning or two in the morning or something and you could but you couldn't have done a ufo type set could you i'm presuming you you wouldn't do like a 15 minute interstellar overdrive or, or well you could actually i mean I, I, uh, <laughs> the punters probably wouldn't have liked it but <laughs> uh, no it, it was um i think we probably would have done uh, it wouldn't have been quite as lengthy as a a UFO type of thing, but uh, we were booked to do to be what we were. Yeah, but because I, I suppose it was a maturing in rock and roll at that point. So it wasn't like just before then it, with the Beatles, it would have you would have been on with a comedian, you know, Ken Dodd or something. <laughs> would it? I mean, Floyd managed to avoid. Yeah, we did manage to avoid Ken Dodd. <laughs> you're right. Uh, no, you're quite right. Um, the first uh, show I ever saw when I was a schoolboy 
was Tommy Steele. And actually, as you say, he was on with a uh, contortionist and a... Uh, God knows what else. It was musical. But really. even then, there was still... I mean, okay, we've crossed over from that area of showbiz, but even for Pink Floyd, for what you were doing, with the sort of... I mean, I'm wondering what the other acts on these sort of packages would have made of you, because you were just pretty radical compared to Herbert Goins and the Nighttimers, I dare say. Uh, yeah. They were probably a bit puzzled and probably a little bit... Um, well in some cases, disapproving. Yeah, because <laughs> Because uh, everyone, we were all still hoping to get on top of the pops, all of us, you know, whether it was the move or the herd or us or whoever. So, I mean, we definitely had a, as we had a bit of a problem because we had a couple of records. We had Arnold Lane, then we had C.M. Lee play. Uh, and we were still doing the, the top-ranked ballrooms. So... Uh, the punters generally hated it. Right, 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 right. Do you feel like you've come full circle, Nick? You know, you're back here doing some of that same early material now. Oh, there are moments. I, I've had some incredible flashbacks to, to what it was like. But I have to say what's so great is that now the audience is uh, on side. You know, we were sometimes playing to some pretty... Uh, disapproving audiences. <laughs> uh, and it, 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 the story of, of the music industry, it, it really, was that we were saved by um, uh, the, the, the whole business of student, uh, you know, student um, entertainment. Right, 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 the end Because sections. all those universities suddenly realised that they could rent these bands in, the, the social sec would make money, and the social sex were people like Harvey Goldsmith and Richard right. Branson. I was going to say, because those, those are the people who actually went on. I mean, the music business was essentially shaped by, by sort of university social secretaries, wasn't it? Everyone from, like, the, the people who started Chrysalis Records to, as you say, Harvey Goldsmith, Richard Branson. So it's, yeah, you're, you're right. That's basically what shaped the world we live in. Yeah. No, it's very different. <laughs> I still shudder at some of the top-rank gigs because uh, they'd have the revolving stage and we had quite a lot of equipment. So it sort of looked like, uh, I don't know, Pompeii, um, the sort of collapse of Pompeii. A, a <laughs> thing yeah, not big void of Pompeii, down, just Pompeii. Just Pompeii. <laughs> the equipment's quite famous. The equipment would be tottering. Because you had it all spread out, didn't you, on the back of an album cover? What was it, Atom Heart? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, no, that, came from, that came from a magazine spread. Cause, and I remember it because these things used to be a big thing in the colour supplements, didn't they? Yeah. Was it something, I think it was a, it a was, Phantom, an F4 with its payload all laid out. That's right. It was, I think, out of Life magazine. I mean, the thing that's different, you know, when you, when you watch old films of, of bands, isn't really the fact that the bands are much younger. We, 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 we guess that. But when they pan to the audience, and you realise there's nobody over 30 in the audience, probably no one over 25 in the audience, yeah. you know. It was it was a revolution. That's what you were, you were part of. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, music was much more. Yeah, Fifty years ago, um, it was the, the rebellion. It was something that was uh, solely for young people, and there was the whole thing of most of us assumed we'd be lucky to get two years of it and then have to go back and carry on doing something else. That is the thing, isn't it? We always is that um, because. 
having always worked with people who are sort of that bit older than me, everyone was, was doing something, getting to a point in their life for the first time. There'd never been anyone who did that. You know, like, we were talking about this a while ago. And Mick, I remember when Mick Jagger turned 30. No one had ever turned 30. Yeah. What was he going to do? Is he going to retire? Is he, yeah. you know, that's the, and that's the thing. You know, do you get a mortgage? I mean, do you think about sending children to school? What, I mean, what do you do? It's because, as you said, I mean, everyone was looking at two years, weren't you? Really? Yeah. No, it's... I mean, did you think you'd be doing it for the rest of your life? It, it's very bizarre, that, because it was absolutely assumed that... Uh, that this was ephemeral, and and now all my friends who went into banking or whatever have retired. I mean, let's just talk about this this tour because, I mean, part of what I love about you, Nick, is you you're there, you have great humility, and you're you're you humbly ride the bus with all of us. You do overnighters. Um, I mean, it's and it's been a difficult time. You know, all the all our crew have been on. On hold. I mean, did you ever think that this would happen? Did was there a time when you thought we, I might not be doing this anymore? You know? Yeah, I did. I, I think uh, you know when we went into lockdown in the in 2020 or 2021, you, and by then we were sort of cancelling the second attempt at an American tour or whatever. You just thought, well, maybe it's just not going to be possible to go out and play live anymore. You don't mind doing what traveling in this style, doing cutting your cloth to suit these it's, kind of venues. It's much more than that. I really, it, I do it because I love doing it. You know, uh, sounds a bit show busy, but um, no, 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 no. But I'm wondering if there's an element because obviously, because the, the touring I did with you in the past, Nick, was always, you know, was these was there were they weren't tours, they were campaigns. No, I mean, do you know what I mean? They were, you know, there are hundreds of people. There are, it's literally like D-Day level organisation. And it's, and I'm just, and yes, there's an intense luxury that goes with that and everything. But, but I'm wondering if there must be something quite nice about coming back to, to remembering what it is, which is showbiz, you know, this is theatres full of people. And no, it's, I, and I, it's I, much, it's, cause the whole, it's so much more human. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, one misses some of the, you know, the odd charter jet. And I have to say, when I went to the O2 a week or so ago to see Genesis, which was great, but driving in and seeing those that fleet of giant trucks, uh, you, I did think, oh, I remember that, all that. That was yeah, that was nice. But actually, to get back in, well, that's all catering anyway. Yeah. <laughs> But let's, let's just talk about that because you know I, you were part of all of this guy and and you you, you said it was like a you know a, what do, how do you describe it? a campaign yes um, because that was a huge jump from for Floyd wasn't it you know going into that end of after Roger left and doing that eighty seven tour because everyone had thought you know that maybe Floyd wasn't going to be able to be as successful without Roger. Mm-hmm. Just, just give us a little sort of snapshot of family on the road and and how you, because I mean, you were with your kids as well, weren't you? Uh, well, not the, um, uh, not ninety four so much as uh, sorry, um, uh, ninety four, not eighty seven. Ninety four. Um, the first lot were around. Yes, but but for less time. I mean, the, I mean, did it take you by surprise that you could go out and do a show, tour? That, that was yeah i mean it was a we knew there was a, a risk factor i mean the, fa- the big thing was that i hocked my car to um 
to, to fund uh, the, the whole setup of the thing. Did you? Well, uh, I'd certainly put it up uh, later on. Yeah, later on, I, um, I was talking to Michael Cole about it, and he said, "Yeah, that was a funny one." That he said, um, "I remember talking to the bank manager and saying, um, uh, more recently, and saying about this business of putting the car up as collateral," and the bank manager said. Yeah, I never really got that. He said, it was Pink Floyd. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> because Pink Floyd never actually used to do big tour. I mean, you paid huge places, but you didn't do big tour. I mean, in fact, you know, the Wall Tour famously lost money because you yeah. just didn't do it. Well, uh, that's, yeah. so, so the tour was, in, was incredibly ambitious in its scope in, in that, yes, it was a huge show, but there were hundreds of them as well. Yeah, and that was completely new to, yeah. to me, uh, to us, because... W- we'd always done these sort of funny three-week tours. And it, if we did more than that, we'd probably have a break for a month and then do another three, and, which was a, a terrible way of working because the first week you spent sort of more or less getting the show working properly because uh, we never... I don't remember doing production rehearsals until we more or less got to the gig. And um, so... it. It was a completely new way of working. And I have to say, I absolutely loved it because for the first time we got things right instead of just getting through them. Because the problem with the three-week tour, as I say, first week learning, second week really sort of settling into it, third week getting ready to go home. And why was the wall so short? Why was it cut so... Uh, Because it was wildly expensive to put on and we'd have just gone on. Um, spending on it and the idea was to to get on with um, making the movie and generally sort of developing it in other ways rather than um, taking it on a big uh, on a big tour yeah there's there's an irony about Floyd having such a big entourage and touring in the way they did in 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 87 and 94 in that they were always seen as being quite you know humble you know shoegazing at times almost musicians there wasn't but of course and then you brought this Herbert in who's proud (laughs) guy who was dancing all over the stage David had never seen me live he didn't know that I jumped about you know and uh, (laughs) so probably probably rather regretted it once they first saw me on stage but I know like for instance Scott Page the sax player was was harsh but you know who is a fantastic sax player obviously that played a, a big part but it was David said partly he did want people who were going to you know and same with Gary Wallace who wanted people who were going to bring some visual attention also there was a thing in terms of personalities that you before you just been easily to be this sort of amorphous thing that is Pink Floyd but because Roger was out forging his own career it was like you suddenly had to make personalities of yourselves to some extent to differentiate between these two things Yes, uh, I think what happened was we ended up with the, the, the Floyd themselves remaining static <laughs> with all these people gambling about in the shape of, of, I mean, whatever you did was minor compared to what Gary and, I mean, uh, Thank Gary, Gary Wallace. Wallace yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think unlike the Stones... Which had probably the touring equivalent at the time. <clears throat> you were much more. I think you were trying to to create an art piece as well, weren't you? Yeah. To, to as I think I said earlier, that business of we didn't want 
film of us on stage. And frankly, however much jumping about there would be, when the size of uh, auditoriums we were playing, you'd hardly see that compared to giant inflatables or the big round screen with the film on it and, and the lights doing all sorts of trickery. But were there trickery. films of the musicians? No, never. No, no. no the only thing is what, there was, there, was, um, there was a couple of synced things. I said at the beginning of Dogs of War, there was a great bit of film where it rushes up to a pre-recorded, pre-filmed thing of David and he turns to the camera and says, Dogs of War. And there was a thing that was never used, which was you in one of these days where Nick said, you were, I don't know if that was, wasn't actually your house, it was some incredibly sumptuous sort of very loose... Jason King type apartment, <laughs> and and there's that, and you go to answer the door, and you open the door, and it's you as a tramp, and he says, one of these days I'm going to cut you into little bits, and, oh, and it was yes, never you're used, right, and I'd... it was fantastic. Well, we yeah. have an opportunity now, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get that. Have to, oh, we've got we've got screen. God knows but no, I'm interested in also what I was trying to allude to earlier is, it was a big commitment for you and your family because you, you know you've always been a bit of a home guy and you're certainly a family man I know you as that and you know suddenly you were saying well, well pack your bags we've, we've gone for a year or whatever. I mean how did was that terrifying no I think it was an adventure and it is it, it wasn't is. terrifying but it's also it's worth putting out that it was a school year it was literally there was four weeks for Christmas four weeks for Easter <laughs> <laughs> eight weeks in the summer it was literally like being back at school oh, you weren't on the road the whole time no 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 No, it was a school year it was literally it was like three terms well we took we took time off for um we it was sort of organized so that for instance we had to ship by sea uh, all the equipment from australia japan or you know one of those sort of things so or get back to europe or whatever so there'd be these breaks in the in the system Look, I'm sure you want to be careful about what you say, but was it... Um, <clears throat> uh, obviously, you've recorded the album and without Roger, but suddenly you're on the road without Roger. Did, did that... That must have put a lot of pressure on David. Did you feel... Did it feel strange for you? Yeah, but, uh, a bit. But as I say, it, the whole thing was so different to what we'd done in the past. It wasn't as though... Uh, some items had changed, everything had changed. And the whole, uh, the, the, way we, um, the way we operated as a band was completely different to the way we'd worked before because we had all these extra musos on board, uh, which was fun, you know, and it was, but it was wildly different to the four lovable mop tops. And I would, but I would say, yeah, obviously, because I'm, I'm sure, you know, I... I Again, one doesn't say too much, but I feel the mood was perhaps lighter than it might have been with other people around in the park. And uh, yeah. there was very much a feeling amongst us, the sort of the, the youngsters, the hired hands, of of the sort of common purpose of we of, of we you taking us on to do this enormous thing, which we and, and we all just wanted to make it work for you. You know, there was a great. Every, there really was a kind of all for one, one for all feeling about. Well, it. let me turn to you, guy, because now this is this is me interviewing you briefly. <laughs> but um, what a responsibility! What were you terrified? First of all, I want to know how you got the audition and what that was like, and then how terrifying was it to to feel that you know you had to play money and these incredible yeah that pieces. sort of thing didn't really come. I, I the, the audition came up. I, I was just in David's orbit. I was just sort of. I kept getting close because he kept turning up. Like he, um, I 
played for the Dream Academy, who he produced, and we did a gig supporting him. And I had this Nick, ex- Le- Nick Le- Le- Clues, this excruciating meeting. I was introduced to David, and I was, I couldn't say anything. And David doesn't say anything unless he needs to. And so we both <laughs> just stood there until one of us had to walk away. And him being the rank o- ranking officer chose to walk away first. And it, it was <laughs> There's a, a surprise. Yeah, and it was just the most excruciating meeting of my life. But then, um, and then he, I, I just kept, then he was, I was working with Brian Ferry and he kept turning up to play on that. And we, you know, and it was just, and then he asked me to play on a, an Amnesty International gig with him, with Kate Bush. And of course I was in Thailand on holiday when that happened. It, yeah, it was just one of those things. And there were two things when I turned up in Toronto. There were two absolutely conflicting emotions. When I met these guys properly for the first time, I had this absolute feeling of being at home. I thought I felt so comfortable with you. I thought this, you know, this is my music. These are my people. And um, turns out I was right. And you'd done all your homework, obviously. And, yeah, I'd done all my homework. But but the other thing, the other thing that went absolutely with that was you're getting sent home. There's no way you can do this. this. Is ridiculous. You can't play for Pink Floyd. I remember we. We arrived at Toronto. We all flew, it was me, um, Gary Wallace, and Tim Rennick. We flew in together, and I remember there was a limo for us. Right? I remember thinking, a limo, and I'd just been on my first ever business class long haul flight. Then put in a limo, and we drove to the to the hotel, and we drove past the CNE Stadium, which is one of the first gigs we had. We were doing three nights at the CNE Stadium in Toronto, and I remember as we drove past, and Gary Wallace went, "Oh look, look at that! We're playing there in six weeks." And I remember just thinking, "I'm not." Right, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. There's just, there's no way that that hand was going to yeah. come on your shoulder. Yeah, so I'm sorry, it's like, been a terrible mistake. Yeah, it, absolutely, <laughs> total imposter. I mean, beyond imposter. So it, it was absolutely fixed in my head that I wasn't going to do it. You know, that's all I could say. <laughs> and and but, but but Nick, how was it for you as well? Because you you know you you'd been playing with Roger, and suddenly you've got this. I mean, did when did you feel that this was a rhythm section? Oh, I think really early on, because of course uh, they were actually really good. All the, you know, all these people that had been chosen. I think, uh, I would say David carried most of it on his shoulders. For him, uh, he, he did a hell of a job, actually, in yeah. terms of singing everything. But if, making it happen and being the front man, right. really. But I remember, I remember it was, we were only like about 10 days from the end of rehearsals. And we really didn't have a show. And none of us knew what to do about it. So I remember when Bob Ezrin was called in. To sort of produce, well, I, I, they say produced by the, the word is director, and he was very because Bob's an incredibly theatrical character anyway. And he, he produced like the director. wall, right? Yeah, he, he produced the wall albums, and, and he produced um, the Momentary Lapse of Reason album, yeah. and he's amazing. But he comes from theatre, and he came in and was very much a theatre director. There was lots of pointing and shouting. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. You know. What was he telling you to do? Sort of I can't remember. Yeah, Step I can't into remember. The but, but he but stood on. Just the, but there was there was a focal point. Mm. I remember. No, at one point he did actually say. So I said, okay, if anyone's lost at any point, he's stuck, just look at Guy. Guy knows what's going on. And I remember thinking, I really don't. <laughs> Depends what time of the day it was. Yeah. <laughs> but what did he add, Bob Ezra? Did he, did he, create, the, did he create the arc of the show? Which is right, well, I can't honestly no. remember now. I think it was more just the fear that we, it was more just the we open in two weeks is what he brought to the show. Yeah. <laughs> and how different was the, the one you did in 94? Was that? It's similar. Uh, there were uh, quite a lot of the same people. Um, again, but we were a bit more savvy about the show. I mean, to be honest, we we got one thing wrong, in my opinion, which was that we decided that it would 
be a really good thing to make more of the of David, Rick, and myself, and uh, you know to remind ourselves that this was the this was Pink Floyd, which was a good idea. But it would have been a good idea if we'd actually discussed it and told the rest of the band what was happening. So suddenly there was a whole change of well, actually we're going to go on and take a bow, just the three of us, and then we'll do a a bigger thing. I just think we didn't manage it very well in, uh, in terms yeah, of I hearts and minds. The difference with the 94 tour was that the job had already been done. This was Pink Floyd. This was accepted as Pink Floyd. Also just made, you know, Division Bell, which is, which, which is a fantastic Floyd album by any metric. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I mean, it's got high hopes. It's got one of the all-time great Pink Floyd songs on it. So, and so I think there was a, there was a sort of certitude and a more a relaxed thing it wasn't the sort of jumping up and down party hooray thing there was no it's con- confidence in other areas, which i think is what made it better mm-hmm. Bec- because to play pink floyd music convincingly you it you can't be too happy one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. Guy, what makes, what makes Nick, Nick, and what makes him so Pink Floyd? And how did you, it's did you recognise that? Um, I, did, I used to recognise it in the rehearsals back in 87. I remember I used to have it, and I remember saying this to someone, was that, was that, because a lot, because Nick was very, very involved in the setting up of the tour and everything, but you know, with with all the logistics and stuff. So there'll be times he wasn't. So there's a lot of time we, we'd be cracking on rehearsing without him, and Gary would would be playing the drums instead of Nick. 
And I remember saying that, that and because Gary is a perfect musician, he's perfect. He, he's you know like like us. He's an eighties boy. Gary Wallace, yeah. Gary Wallace grew up with machines, and his timing is perfect. And he's you know an absolutely faultless musician. But I couldn't hear the hundred and fifty million records. Do you remember? There was something about. I mean, there was an interesting thing. There's when it, and, and actually, it's this band has made me more aware of it than than I ever have been in the past. It's just this this ridiculous swing and place that Nick sits which is just it's you can't quantify and you can't and I now realize well you know I've got to say like on the last time the sources were out all these big name drummers coming and just like worshipping at Nick's features going oh my god man and it, I kind of understand what that thing is way more than I did before because I'd never played with Nick Blood, the only thing I'd say it was very important to have that second drummer because there's all sorts of stuff especially the newer stuff that needed you know all that backup and all the machine stuff but I think for you as a player, it was the worst thing that ever happened to you, was having a net. You know, this, this, this is the first time, first band I've ever been in where we, you know, it's just you and me. Yeah. And it's the best thing that I've, it's the best I've ever known playing with you. Nick, how did you thing. feel about the fact that there wasn't another one after 94? That, sort of, um, that people sort of went their own way? Disappointed because... Uh, um, <laughs> One of the annoying things about being a drummer is it's not something you do on your own. You know, you do require a band. Oh, hello. <laughs> and and <laughs> bass player as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. McCartney makes a few solo albums, but yeah. But if you're not a singer, but yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't, it's not just him sitting yeah. there with the Hofner. No, no. No, but I know what you're saying. But you, so we, did, you, did you try? Did, did, did you ever get to pick up the phone and say, come on, David, let's try and make another album? Uh, no, I didn't, because there would be, um, I think, I'm trying to remember now, but it's not something where people are going to go, oh, yeah, okay then. I think it was David didn't want to was go it out again. Because it, it, it had been so big, these two massive tours, that it was like, do you know what, I just want an ordinary life. I probably, it. yeah, there was an element of that, I think, probably, um, for, for me for a while anyway. But uh, I think it's one of those things where you just have to wait and see if, uh, in, uh, whether David actually wanted to go out again. Because the thing is, a lot of it's to do with the responsibility. And I don't know, because, you know, and there are some people who thrive, absolutely, like Mick Jagger clearly thrives on that level of responsibility. Roger Waters thrives on that level, you know, that thing of basically, because you're going from sitting at home to being the chairman of Coca Cola. You know, there are thousands of people depending on you. There's incredible... It's you know, a small it's city, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly. And I, that's well, you, you use the analogy of, of the oh. army, and it's, uh, you know, one day you're catering, the next they're going, General, can you uh, invade Sicily or whatever? But, I mean, how? because how did you feel with that level of responsibility? Are you, is that something that sits easily with you? Um, I'm more... Uh, I'm more... A, which co goes with the drumming, more of a team player, I suppose. On this tour, we're, we're doing Echoes, obviously, so it's the Echoes tour. Um, when was the last time you played it live? Did you do it on any of those tours? Yeah. Did, did you do it? No. Oh, yes, we did it at the very... But we did it, and I, I can't remember us ever actually playing it, but apparently we did it for like five shows. I have no memory of that no, whatsoever. No, neither do I. Apparently there's recordings and everything. I'm sure there are people out there who know. Oh no, they're in great detail. That's, no, that's a yes. But what, what, do you, 
Can I just ask about the recording of that track? Because I, you know, it. You okay? He rolls his eyes. I don't think he knows. He's forgotten. No, you, He's forgotten. you do know Nick's spoken about it very eloquently in the past. But you know, you put to, you decided when you were making this album and to 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 make one track expand across the entire second side of the album, uh, twenty five minutes long. Um, how did it come? Whose idea was that initially? Do you have any idea? And how it came together? Was it? Was it? The, these really, sections. Yes, it was done in sections, and then there was a there was a point at which it was decided to make half, you know, full side of a vinyl record, uh, and at that point, that's when uh, those sort of repetitive pieces came in. But I don't, I really can't remember exactly who decided what to do when. You never sat down and recorded it all in one. It was recorded in sections, and then yeah, and then I, I'm sure together. it was recorded in sections. And you know, the, whether we even lifted some of the the elements of the the sort of um, repeats, uh, yeah. I mean, I, the thing because the thing I about just, the track and what you know, we all sat at home, we all learnt it in lockdown. We knew we were going to approach it, and we all met together in the studio and we put it, you know, in the rehearsal rooms and we put it together. But it's very difficult to get this sort of feel of it, you know. And I think we've got there now. I hope we have. But there was this this soulful kind of slowness about it that really is so Floyd, isn't it? Well, it's what's interesting is you probably realise at the time is that now when you look back, it's absolutely the template for what was to become Imperial Floyd, you know, yeah. Dark Side of the Moon and everything. So. Yeah, yeah, and and then but when we all played, when we got together and played, I think we were all nervous, weren't we? It was, it was, well, we're very so nervous. I mean, there's a slightly sort of awkward thing for me because I, obviously the last time I played it was on David's tour in 2006, which and it was the, it was a stand. I mean, it's it's going to be the standout thing on any, in any show, you know. If it's like it's it's not a song that can play second fiddle to anything, and um, but and it was because Rick was on that tour. There was a very very big deal made of it, and it was incredibly magical and wonderful to see David and Rick playing together. And then when Rick so when Rick died, David said, I'm never going to play that song again. And so I said, I'm never going to play that song again, which seemed like a very obvious thing to say, because who else was I ever going to play it with than David? So, and this was your father-in-law that passed and away. Rick was my father-in-law. So, but, that, but it was an easy thing to say, and I genuinely meant it, because I never thought, I mean, th you know, this, this is why you never say never. But, you know, so, I, I'd like, I'd like, I know a little bit about that story, and I, and I think our version is... is, is the emphasis is different. It's the, completely different. First of all, all you, all the Floyd wrote it. it, 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 it well, exactly. Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to. I wanted to. And bring and, up. and but the thing is, is you know, I know that one of the key moments live for 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 David and 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 Rick was this uh, was the, was the Space Jam moment, yeah. which is a which you know is was a kind of conversation between the two of them musically, guitar and Hammond. I think that that comes out. That's given less emphasis in our version, and the emphasis is now put on what well, I call next the, bit, what I call the Doctor really Who think. bit, right? Yeah, and also, I know, and all fairness, it's got to be said for whatever the version we have with Dave and Rick, which was an amazing, very special thing. But this, I've never played it where it has the swing before, where it has the feel, the Nick, you know, because this there's is this a, whole this focus is a on thing Nick. that no one, yes, exactly, but this is a thing that. You know, and with the, you know Stevie DeStanislaw is a fantastic drummer, but it, uh, but no one is Nick. 
No, and that. you take that, you know, you have your big focal moment, which is kind of like a solo, as it were, when we're playing the the, the, the Doctor Who. Don't give away too much. <laughs> you know, but it's you. It's all, it's, it's about you. And it's, about, it's the same as on the record. You know, people can hear it on the record, but it's... Just talking about the se- sections, I know we never, ever dreamt of trying to play it through in one pass. You know, whenever there's the sound of wind, it means there was a crossfade between sections. Uh, And I wondered, in fact, whether we just actually lifted um, that whole, you know, the three sections after after the uh, verse and chorus. Um, Whether we repeated, just copied it and stuck it on the end. How do you feel about playing it now, Nick? Has it, have you, or are you still counting the bars, as it were? We're, like, we all are. we're all trying to be, we're all technically involved. I mean, I think we're all waiting for that moment no, where I'm we could just forget about it and play it. Enjoying it, because there's, it's, it's not difficult. You just have to remember the part, but it's not like... like yeah, I'm trying no, to think of something that is No, you're right, it's, it's basically, difficult. yeah, yeah it, it's, it, as a piece, it's incredibly imposing. It seems different, but, if you, but it's actually four quite simple songs. Yeah. Yes. For, for me, it's but utterly... Maybe, maybe you shouldn't give that away either. No, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's utterly orgasmic for me when after the, the piano intro and, and the guitar intro and suddenly your toms come in because I am taken straight back to to being that kid who put that vinyl on and those that slow tom-tom fill that goes into... Uh, yeah, and it's, the opening it's, of the song. It's, but it, that's what I said. There is, it, it's definitive. That's definitive. Nick Mason. It's also it's some of the first I would say definitive of of, of it, David's solo style. It's kind of one of the first times you really heard that. Other than one, of, I mean that album I would say is the first time. Yeah, that's where David was becomes fully formed. And I think for me and Lee, it's yeah. been quite a take yeah. on. You know yeah. that we know that you know on all the other songs we can kind of make it up as we go along, and we can make it ourselves. Yeah. And there was a sense in this that we had to lean a lot more to to the sort of what David had done on the on metal. Um, so it's a massive tour ahead of us, isn't there? I mean, I think we're we're doing the UK for for. for for a month and then we how long do we we're in Europe for nine weeks nine, is it nine weeks yeah something like nine, that unfortunately and I have to say this May, because this should spring, be brought up, uh, mainly Eastern Europe yeah oh, but yeah. <laughs> but guy this actually leads yeah. me on to something I want to ask both of yeah. you now because because obviously sadly as well because there are plenty of people who would have loved to have seen us in Moscow and uh, St. Petersburg I think we were meant to be playing yeah. we've, we've cancelled you guys recently got together and became Pink Floyd again with David and made this incredible record. Could, could you just take me through, Nick, of what you, what you know about how, how you were asked? Uh, I just, I, I got a call from David. Now, that's quite a rare event. And um, he explained very roughly what he wanted to do. And I, I was a little cagey about, because time was short. You know, we were about to head off on this particular trip. Yeah. And there was something else that I was doing at the same time, which is some sound effects for something, which needed to be finished for an opening. Um, uh, and I said, oh, well, yeah. but in principle, it would have been truly dreadful to have turned down that opportunity. And did you think it was a, a David Solo record at the time? Or did you know? Yeah, it was no, I, I, I thought maybe he was doing it as a solo piece but I'd be very happy to play on it and um, then once I'd, he sent me a demo a sort of rough version of it um, and I thought oh yeah well I can do this 
Did so, you play along in your studio at home? I, no, I just <laughs> turned up on the day. More or less tapped my. Who, who, who brought all the gear down for you? Or was it David's drum? Uh, no, um, Dave organised right, right. that. Okay. And what about you, Guy? What, well, no, I'm just finding I've got a text here, which I, I got, which and it was quite. So I was actually in Manchester. It was my son Stanley's uh, 20th birthday, and I was having dinner with him. And I just got this text saying, Hi, Guy, are you busy in the next few days? And is Nick M around at the moment? I want to record a song for Ukraine. And it was literally 15 days after that it came out. And, and two days after that, it was number one in how many countries? Yeah, 29. So what was it like turning up and recording? How was the... Because you had uh, Nitin Sawney was on it Nitin well. Sawney, yeah, turned up on the... I, I'd gone round there for dinner the Saturday night before. And so David had played well, his original idea for it. And... Um, we're still messing around with like lengths and stuff like that, and it was fantastic. So in fact, I and so I put a rough bass on it then. So um, and I hope that David would tell me all the things he didn't like that I was doing, so I could get that out of the way. But it was fine. And then and then I just sat at home learning it for days. And then yeah, on the day I remember even th- that video you see is when it was recorded. So did you have the you guy singing the, his piece while you were in yeah. your, in yeah. your yeah. headphones? Yeah, on, yeah. on the and, headphones. And until, until the, I remember getting there and, and sort of still wasn't actually sure that you'd turn up. I mean, I'm just suddenly thinking he might change his mind. I mean, please don't. I had a conversation with Dave because it's a, you know, very, from the drums point of view, relative, simple. But um, well, it's you. It's, it's but you. it's me. And then I said maybe we could have a breakdown in it. Yeah, that the was films. An absolutely inspiring. Um, Dave well, said, yeah, that's a good idea. Sort of I'd say Guy phoned me which, and he said, it sounds like Floyd. It's yeah. more Floyd than Floyd. Yeah. You know, and he it's, was very yeah. excited. To I was very it. excited. Well, Sarah Lee, said, who was taking pictures on the day, she said, she said, oh my God, the pictures I've got to use. She said, you look like the kid whose parents have just got back together. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The reason it sounds like Floyd, and I have to say, I mean, because we've heard David solo albums a lot. We all love David's guitar and we know that. But it's it's I, this I man know, it's here, that, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's that that it's the way the drums sit, you know. And it's, and yeah, I mean, and and that, and it is a joy playing with you, Nick, because you know you 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 have retardando is a is a musical term, isn't it? Where you kind of pull and push the 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 timing of a track. Yeah. Um, my my son, who's doing a degree in music, is going to obviously correct me on this, but. That sort of ebb and flow that you put, rather than modern drums or drummers who have grown up on machines. Yeah, well, there's also a very interesting idea that American drummers play on or even fractionally ahead, and English drumming always tends to be pulling, pulling back. And but you do that exceptionally, and I wonder where that comes. Was it ever a conscious? Thing. No, but right? it's interesting that possibly my favourite rock drummer of all time is Mitch Mitchell. And Mitch definitely oh. does a sort of... It, he holds, holds it back um, a oh, lot. Yeah. Well, I think... It's, and it's actually... I've only really noticed this since we've had this band going, but I think I've found the secret to your timing, which is that I think you actually count in half the time everyone else does. So you give <laughs> yes. yourself it's this enormous space between beats, oh, which is why you can slip between times. Well, we're all going it's one, brilliant. two, three, four. Well, it's going one, 
two, right, 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 three. Right, right. So what happens between that one and two is completely up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, thank you for doing this with us. Yeah, uh, I think it's time for us to go to catering. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, call um, of catering. But it's, I mean, I just want to say, what you know, to your face, what a thrill it is to be on the road with you. Um, you know, you created certainly things in my life that have inspired me forever musically and I still go back to and um, and to actually be up on stage playing some of those tracks wow you know and you've had that in spades haven't you guys in spades oh and it's just wonderful it's just so great to be back finally doing this it's brilliant it, it is um we are going to try and keep this going aren't we we are yes we are going to try yeah for those of you uh, followers who are worried so we do have people lined up and and ben our producer is is um is, is going to find us on days off and try and c- connect us with other musicians. And we do have some good names coming up uh, that I know. We, and we're just going to keep, keep doing we're this. We're going to keep doing this. But, you know, now we, now we know the songs. <laughs> yeah, we've got a bit more. Re- we can relax a bit more. Exactly. But uh, thank you for listening. I want to thank uh, Steve, who's our out front guy, uh, front of house. Front of house uh, engineer, who's uh, an yeah, amazing, amazing engineer. And we're about to find out just how good a recording engineer he is. <laughs> He's sitting there terrified <laughs> in case that ever came out. <laughs> and, and, and I'm keeping our fingers crossed that we will, we will be here next week. Well, hopefully it will be next week, yes. Thank you for listening. Good night uh, from him. And it's good night from all of us here.